If you've got a Bible with you this morning, may you might like to open it at John chapter 4. And I'm reading from verse 1. John chapter 4, I'm reading from verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was going and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we open your word and as we look into your word this morning, that you might speak into our hearts and minds and that you might reveal to us your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Okay, well, if you were with us last week, you'll know that uh, we launched the uh, 40 Days of Good News, which is this uh, Baptist initiative that's going throughout the country, encouraging people to share the good news of Jesus during the people uh, during the period between Easter and Pentecost. And if you were here last week and you didn't get one of these cards, uh, the card's got a simple prayer on it. And uh, the idea is that we just encourage people to look for opportunities uh, to get into conversations about their faith and uh, to give people this card and invite them to use this card as, as a prayer for themselves. And uh, we've got plenty of them. In fact, I, I got an email from Phil Jump this week uh, saying that he's, he's had to order to, to order even more because uh, because they've run out of cards because so many churches uh, are taking this on board. So we've got loads of these cards. So if you want one or if you've already uh, given one away or even misplaced it or lost it, uh, do get one. I'll put some on the uh, table at the back and, and do pray uh, for opportunities uh, to share the good news with people this very week, not in some distant moment, but this week, uh, prepare and look for opportunities. Last week we were looking at uh, really what was Jesus' mission statement from uh, Luke chapter 4 when Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. We're looking at that passage, how Jesus came and, and, and brought and preached a message of good news. And we're going to continue uh, with a, another good news story. We're going to be looking at good news stories over uh, this period of time in between uh, uh, Easter and uh, Pentecost, encouraging us uh, to look at these stories and see what we learn from them and see if it can encourage us and enthuse us uh, to be looking for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with people uh, that we meet during the course of the week. And this morning, uh, we're looking at the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. The story of the woman at the well. And uh, the first thing that we see is that both Jesus and the woman were thirsty. Uh, why else would you go to a well uh, to draw water except for the fact to meet that very basic need uh, that we all need to drink. Thirsty for a drink. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? It's interesting, isn't it, to notice uh, Jesus' starting point in this conversation. Uh, Jesus has got something that he wants to share with this woman, uh, but he starts not from his point of view, but from, from where she is. You've got something that you can give to me. Uh, give me a drink. And uh, so often, you know, when we try to share the gospel, uh, we're so quick, aren't we? Sometimes uh, we can be so quick thinking about what we're going to share that we don't actually take on board where the person is, who the person is, where they're at, and what they might be able to offer to us, as well as the fact that we've got something to offer them. So just notice that. And, uh, of course, uh, the woman at the well, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, known by her location, but not by her name. We talk about the woman at the well, known by her location and not by her name. Uh, John doesn't tell us the name of the woman. In the previous chapter, Jesus had a, another encounter with a, a Jewish uh, leader, Nicodemus, who's named. Uh, 
The woman at the well is not named. We're just told her nationality, she's a Samaritan, and her location, she was by her well. And that's what she was remembered for, uh, the Samaritan by the well. But the woman without a name, which probably says a lot about how women were viewed and treated in Jesus' time. And at the time the Gospels were written, they weren't seen as as, as important as men. The woman at the well. The Samaritan woman said to her, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And straight away, we see that there are barriers here. That there are barriers that need to be removed. Uh, and it's the woman that points out the, the barriers. How can you, a Jew, uh, offer me, a Samaritan woman, um, a drink? Invisible walls at the well. Invisible walls. There are invisible walls between Jesus and this Samaritan woman. There is uh, the gender. Uh, she was obviously a woman and he was a man. Um, of course, there was that doesn't mean anything. But in, in Jesus' day, uh, a Jewish rabbi uh, wouldn't have sat down and spoken to a woman, let alone uh, a Samaritan woman. So there's a gender. There's uh, a religious difference. She shares the religion from Samaria and uh, Jesus was a Jew. There's uh, the racial uh, it says that that, uh, that Samaritans and Jews didn't associate to, together. And of course, later on, we'll find out that there is a, a moral difference in the lifestyle that this woman's uh, leading. All these things, barriers between Jesus and this woman. And uh, we have to recognize, you know, when we're meeting and talking to people, uh, that there are sometimes these invisible barriers that if if, if we don't negotiate them... They will actually prevent us sharing the message of Jesus with people. Liz Curtis Higgs, in her uh, interestingly titled book, Bad Girls of the Bible, uh, says this about the woman. She says, The start of a lengthy conversation, the longest found in Scripture between Jesus and anyone, let alone a Samaritan, let alone a woman, let alone that kind of woman. Her gender and nationality are not incidental to the story. They are integral because they drive home the universal truth of God's fountain of grace. Its refreshing, refreshing waters are meant for every human being, being willing to hold out his empty cup. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is for everyone. Gary's exactly right. It's for everyone. It's for all. Uh, but for some people, there are barriers that prevent them hearing and receiving the good news. So we can't just charge in and ignore things. Uh, we do have to uh, look at the person and look at who they are and where they are. So thirsty for a drink, that's the first thing, thirsty for a drink. Reaching for people for Christ is not always comfortable. We know that, don't we? We, uh, most of us feel uncomfortable about sharing our faith. And at times it may be difficult, but you have to go to where people are if you want to reach them at all. Friends, if we want to share the good news, the opportunities are not going to be in this building, or most of them. Somebody's worked out, I don't know whether this is true, uh, you can check it out if you've got nothing to do this afternoon. Somebody's worked out that Jesus had 132 contacts with people in the Gospels. Six were in the temple, four were in the synagogues, 
and all the others were out in life situations. So my question to you, how many contacts did Jesus have outside of the temple and the synagogue? Can you do the maths? Yep. 122, spot on it. I had 122 contacts outside. In other words, most of Jesus' uh, contacts and conversations came outside the walls of a religious place. I wonder whether the reverse is true of us, whether most of our religious conversations and conversations about Jesus take place within these walls and outside we barely mention the name of Jesus. I wonder whether that's true. I wonder whether that's true. Interesting, isn't it? Where are our wells today, we might well ask. We might well ask. Where are our wells today? Where do people go today to meet? Well, maybe maybe uh, it's the coffee shops. Maybe it's uh, those places where people congregate, where we're most likely to come into contact uh, with people. Uh, we have to perhaps get past this British idea. I don't know about you, but um, most people, if, if you went into a coffee shop or, or a cafe or whatever, you probably wouldn't go and join somebody else, would you? We're very British. We don't like uh, to sit with other people. Uh, but maybe you, you do get into conversation with people. And it's an opportunity. It's a meeting place. Jesus, in this encounter with the woman, it wasn't a planned evangelistic event. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with planning evangelistic events, but this wasn't a planned evangelistic event. They were on the way to Galilee, and they just happened to be taking a shortcut uh, through Samaria. Some people wouldn't have gone through Samaria. They would have avoided it. They would have gone the long way round. Uh, and the disciples have gone off to get some food, and Jesus, tired and exhausted, he sits down by the well. It's not planned. And this woman appears, and he enters into a conversation with her. And the most opportunities we will get to share the gospel will not be planned opportunities. There'll be those situations where somebody just comes and plonks themselves down next to us. Maybe on a bus or a train or in the supermarket or in the coffee shop. And the opportunity presents itself. And nine times out of ten, we're so not prepared or thinking about it that we miss the opportunity. We don't even see it as an opportunity. Jesus engages this woman uh, where she is. So the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? In other words, there's too many barriers, there's too many things going on here. You shouldn't even be talking to me, let alone asking to share a cup of water with me. Interesting, isn't it, that Jesus isn't interested in religious traditions. He certainly isn't going to let religious traditions get in the way of sharing the good news with this Samaritan woman. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's interesting, isn't it? The woman's no idea who she's talking to. She's no idea who she's talking to, other than the fact that she can see that he is a Jewish man. No idea who she's talking to. And Jesus suddenly introduces the idea that he's got something that she might want. You have nothing to draw with, with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? In other words, what the woman is saying, you haven't got a bucket. 
You've come to the well. In other words, you're saying, how stupid. You've come to the well without a bucket. Typical man, you might be thinking. Typical man, expecting somebody else uh, to draw the water for him. But it's interesting because, as with the previous conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus is, is moving the conversation towards spiritual and heavenly things, and the woman is rooted in earthly things. She's still thinking of physical water. Just like Nicodemus, when, when Jesus says, you need to be born again, Nicodemus says, well, that's impossible. You can't enter the womb again and come out again. And it's interesting that Jesus is talking about heavenly things, and the people he's talking to are, are fixed and focused on the earthly things. You've got no bucket. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Will never thirst. Sir, give me this water, she says, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Still thinking of, of, of the earthly thing, the trek that she's had to make. We've not mentioned the fact that she's there at lunchtime when nobody else is there. And obviously the reason why she's come at lunchtime is because she's hoping not to meet anybody else. Uh, that will be revealed later in the story. But she's still thinking, wouldn't it be great if somebody could give me some water that lasts forever and I wouldn't have to keep making this long journey in the middle of the day in the heat of the sun to collect some water? That would be great. She's still thinking physically, earthly that maybe this guy knows some secret water source that's uh, near the village that I wouldn't have to make this trek. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and that I won't have to keep coming to this place where there is the chance that I might have a chance encounter which I want to avoid. She's come here in the heat of the day because she doesn't want to have this sort of meeting with anybody. So that's the first thing, thirsty for a drink. The woman is thirsty. For a drink. Uh, Jesus is also thirsty for a drink. Second thing as we move on, uh, there's a thirsty for the truth. Go call your husband and come back, Jesus says. Is this the one thing that the woman was hoping that wouldn't be mentioned? Is this the one thing that she dreaded anybody mentioning? I wonder whether we've got things that we hope when we brought up in conversation that we dread people mentioning because of the can of worms that it opens. Go and call your husband and come back. And uh, Jesus here was just now following the customs. He, a Jewish man shouldn't be speaking to a woman on, on the road. He was saying, go and call your, your husband back. It was just following the customs of, of his day. He wasn't trying to catch her out. I have no husband, she replied. And then Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. What she said was true, but it wasn't the whole truth, was it? Do you ever do that? Answer questions in a, in a vague way so not to reveal too much about yourself. I'm not sharing my life story with this stranger. Uh, I'll just I'll just answer it in a in a vague way. I'm I'm not lying, but I'm not telling the whole truth. And Jesus said, "You're quite right. Well, you've, what you've said is true." And uh, we've heard the story of the good Samaritan, haven't we? And now we meet the bad Samaritan. Five husbands, and the man that she's living with now is not a husband. Before we get too condemnationary here, let's just remember the fact that in Jesus' time, uh, a woman couldn't divorce herself from the husband. The husband would have had to divorce herself from, from the woman. 
So Eva, she's been very unlucky and she's had five husbands that have passed away or she's had five husbands that have decided to divorce her. She's been rejected five times by five different men and uh, maybe it's no surprise she doesn't want to enter into a marriage with another man after having five failed or five marriages that haven't turned out how she hoped to have. So she is in a bad, in a bad case and she is in, in, a, in a bad way and Jesus, thirsty for the truth, draws the truth, well, doesn't draw the truth out, he tells the woman the truth about where she is. And of course that's what God does. You know, we can hide from other people, can't we? We can hide all the things that we don't want to be disclosed from everybody else. But the great thing, and it is a great thing about God, is that there's no point in hiding anything because he knows. He knows every little sad detail about our lives. He knows all those things that we would never share with anybody else because we're far too embarrassed. He knows. And Jesus knows, and yet he still offers this woman living water. Note that. Jesus knows everything about this woman, and yet he's still prepared to offer her the gift of living water. And that's the grace of God. And that's why it is good news. Remember Jesus said that I've come to preach good news to the poor Good news to the, one translation puts it, good news to the broken-hearted. This woman had been broken-hearted at least five times. And Jesus offers her the gift of living water. And that's what we're called to do. Thirsty for the truth. But there's also a thirstiness for God. Thirsty for God. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claimed that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Do you notice the tactic that she uses here? Let's get ourselves into a religious argument because you're getting a little bit true too too near to the bone. It's getting a little bit too personal. Let's deflect it away. And uh, so many people use this tactic, don't they? Oh, you, you, you go to church, do you? What do you think? And then they'll deflect it away from any conversation about any personal relationship to God to something more general. You know, let's have a conversation about worship because it's a lot safer than talking about something that's actually personal to us. Where's the place to worship? And Jesus says, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do know. We worship what, what you don't know. Sorry, we worship what we do know for salvation comes from the Jews. You worship what you don't know. We live in a, a society, in a world where people are worshipping uh, a God that they don't know. It might be the God of money. It might be the God of sex. It might be the God of whatever, celebrity. It might be the God of... And uh, I think there is a thirst for God. I think there is a thirst within people. Still for God. It's the time is coming, Jesus goes and that has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is seeking people to worship him in spirit and in truth. He's not interested in denominations and, 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 and religions, organizations. He wants people to worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She knows about the Messiah. 
And she knows that when he comes, he will reveal the truth. And then Jesus declared, I am, Jesus declared, I who speak am he. What is Jesus doing? Revealing who he is to this woman. She, she was a woman. She was a, a Samaritan woman. She was a, a woman living in an immoral relationship. She was thirsty. She was thirsty. She was thirsty for God. And we live in a world where people are thirsty. They're looking for meaning. They're looking to try and make sense of this mixed up and messed up world that's full of bad news. And they are thirsty. And we have this living water. We have access to this living water. Thirsty for God. Thirsty for God. Notice what she left behind. The, the disciples re, re, re returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? And then, leaving her water jar behind, she came to the well with the water jar to fetch water, and she leaves it behind. Was it in the excitement of the commotion? Or was it because she'd found something so amazing? that nothing else seemed to matter. But of course, the water jar wasn't the only thing that she was leaving behind. She was leaving behind that past. She was leaving behind that shame that had brought her there in the midday sun. She was leaving behind the fact that she was an outcast and didn't fit in. Some of us know what it's like, isn't it, to feel that you don't fit in, to feel that you're not welcome, to feel that you're not part of what's going on. This woman knew exactly what it was like to feel like that, and she was leaving all these things behind her at the well. I wonder whether the things that we need to leave behind at the well that we carry back and forward that are heavy and, and causing us pain and heartache, and whether we need to leave these things behind. And then she was thirsty for more. She was thirsty for more. She tasted this living water and she was thirsty for more. Come and see, she says to the people in the town, a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Come and see. She'd met Jesus and her first instinct was to say, come and meet who I've met. You'll never guess who I've met. Come and meet him. Come and see evangelism. You know, we don't need to we don't need to be fantastic preachers or fantastic evangelists. We just need to point people to Jesus and say, Come and see for yourself. That's the best way to find out. I can tell you my story, I can tell you about my relationship with Jesus, but you need to find out for yourself. Come and see. That's what we need to invite people to do, is to come and see Jesus for himself, and then you decide. I don't, I'm not going to persuade you. Come and see for yourself. That's our invitation to people, is to invite them to meet Jesus. We can't force them, we can't make them. It's their decision. But we can offer an invitation. Come and see. 
come and see this man who, who told me everything about myself. Again, uh, Liz Curtis Higgs in, in, a, in a book, Bad Girls of the Bible, says this. She says, the woman at the well could have tried to keep the good news about the Messiah to herself, conjuring up a convincing argument about how unkind and judgmental the townspeople all were. But the reality was she couldn't keep it a secret, even if she'd wanted to. Her joy was so full, her face was so radiant, her heart was so changed, sharing her faith with others wasn't a Monday night missions requirement. It was the unavoidable outpouring of a woman whose spiritual cup suddenly raneth over. She was so excited that she had met the Messiah that she couldn't keep it to herself, even if she wanted she was so full of this living water that anybody that bumped into it, it just spilled and overflowed out. I wonder if we're like that or whether we would like to be like that. Would we like it that people that bumped into us didn't get a, a grumpy response, mind where you're going, get out of my way, but actually some of that living water spilled out because it was overflowing within us. Thirsty for more. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They believed because of what this Samaritan woman who lived a sinful life said. Her life had been turned around. They probably saw a difference in this woman and they believed because of her testimony. What a challenge for us. How many people have believed because of our testimony? How many people might yet believe because of our testimony? We might say, all's well that ends well. All's well that ends well. What are you thirsty for? What are you thirsty for? What is it that you want more of? And where are the thirsty today? Where are the thirsty? Because there are people who are thirsty. Uh, they've not been satisfied by the dead water of spoiled relationships. The dead water of, of work that hasn't materialized. Of money that hasn't brought them everything they thought they would. And they're looking for this living water. And our opportunity is to share it, is to take these cards and just to look for a simple opportunity, a meeting at a well, in a coffee shop, at a bus station, at the supermarket. Let's use these cards and let's share the good news.